Welcome to this week's episode of I Think We're Good Here. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jackson Metakekia. And I'm Matt West. And we're here getting to know the sport of volleyball through the life experiences our guests have to share with us. Come take a listen. Today we're interviewing all-time great wave Matt Tarantino about his trials and tribulations at the club, intercollegiate, and professional levels. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Our first guest. We could not be happier to start it off with all-time great wave, all-decade winner. All-decade. All-decade wave right here. Congratulations. Right here, you know? Thank you. Thank you. You too, buddy. Oh, yeah. Thanks, man. It was like, well, it was pretty nice, actually. Pretty cool. Not as cool <laughs> as the Plugers, though. The whole yeah. family made the list. You got John, Celeste, and Ryan. I mean, how could you not, though? Yeah, true. They may be the best family in Pepperdine history, but whatever. It's all good. <laughs> They're up there for sure. For sure. Let's see. Two-time All-American, three-time All-MPSF. He played like seven different positions. And he was good at all of them, man. What was it, junior year? You went, what, four matches in a row where you hit over 700? Yeah, I think it was four without an error, hitting like 750-ish yeah. each match out of the yeah. middle. Yeah, dude, not that. It's not That's bad. Pretty sick. Well, it's easy when you have two goons on the pins that everyone worries about. That's fair. <laughs> Josh and Parker, like, pretty like good you guys. said, all time, all time great wave, giving other people credit. That's what we do. That's what's all about, baby. <laughs> all right, so let's start from the top, right? So you start at SMBC, yeah. Who's your first yep. coach? First coach was Phil Sandoval and Gary Sato. There you go. And was Little Sato your setter? He was my setter. Um, I'm trying to think. That was like my first actual team. I practiced with the team the year before that. Yeah. With Jeff Stork as the coach. Um, but that was for, you know, a few weeks to kind of try it out before I actually committed into the full club system and the payments and all that fun stuff. And is Stork the one that was like, I think you have a future here or what? Yeah, so actually the way it all started was my cousins all played volleyball, three girls all played in college, and my aunt was always like, you need to play, you need to play, you need to play. I was like, okay, so I played at, you know, my middle school, junior school, junior high school, um, and then she was like, no, there's this thing, it's club, like, it's travel, you go do that. So she found SMBC, she found the tryout dates and all that, so she's the one that originally got me into it, and then what they're not having any idea what I was doing um that was the right so that would be the short season of boys and that was my eighth grade year so that's when I practiced with Stork's team um and then I was like oh this is pretty fun and then Jeff was like you might want to keep doing this for a little bit how yeah. tall were you back then I was probably like six four six five that year as an eighth grader wow yeah I grew from like sixth to eighth grade. I grew probably yeah, six inches. So then you go U14, U14s mm -hmm. with Sato, U15, yeah. Charles. So I went from 14 straight to 16 That's with right. Charles. With Stork and all those guys. So yeah, then I met back up with that team with Stork and Leo Pluger, uh, Brandon LeBrock, yeah. Mel Stevenson, all those guys. And then um, that, that was the first summer you did HP, and that's when we met. I think it was that year, yeah. Oh, yeah because right. I started I started that year um, kind of riding the bench because I wasn't playing on girls' net anymore. I was playing big boy volleyball finally. Um, it still had a ton to learn. So started out not really playing much, um, but I was able to learn pretty quickly. So I think by the end of that, I think it was that summer that I someone, I think it was Bo Daniels, said, hey, go do this USA HP stuff. Um, that's where it all met, all went down with us. Yeah. Did um so H was HP like your that was your breakout or what? Um, a little bit. I think on like the more kind of big scale because in SEVA I was starting to kind of get seen because we used to play Taylor Sander and those guys all the time. We were kind of in that same bracket with them with like them Balboa Bay so we competed with them a lot so obviously people were there watching them so I got seen a little bit I wasn't good at that point I was just the big young guy um 
so I like people locally knew me, but I think IHB is when things kind of took off a little bit, like college coaches wise. And then when, so at what point did you become the guy for that team or was, was it like you and Brandon or was it like, um, it just depended on the day. It depended on the day. I think overall that whole, my six teams year, um, was Brandon mostly. Cause he was just good all around. He was a good passer. He had a really strong arm. Um, and he's a bit on the smaller size and at 16, it doesn't really matter. I think the following year was when I kind of became the guy. Brandon had some ankle injuries. Um, and I kind of figured out what I was doing at that point. Kind of got better than just hitting the ball hard. Kind of knew what I was doing. So probably that second half of 17's year, I kind of started to take over. Did you know that you were actively becoming the guy? Or did you just, like, step in and you're like, ah, uh, getting kind of good at this? Like, um, I think – it was kind of like a surprise. I didn't know. I was just having fun. Like at that point, yeah. I didn't know volleyball that well. I knew it was fun. I knew how to hit ball. Um, so I don't think it was like a, oh yeah, like I'm taking this over. But I remember one game, I don't know, just a regular tournament. And Stork was just setting me like every ball. Um, and I, I don't know, that's what I liked. I liked to hit the ball. That was fun. And so like, get a kill out of the back row whatever and he just turns to me and goes you're a beast and that was the first time I was like because forever just Stork was like the guy he's the setter you know always so good so like to get that respect from him I was like oh maybe I do know what I'm doing that's uh, pretty high praise from that yeah. guy yeah he doesn't doesn't give it a lot out no not yeah. really he's <laughs> the definition of silent but deadly exactly uh, so you're an opposite your entire career, right? Then that, mm-hmm. that grad, that class graduates, mm-hmm. and you move. You really move into your own your 18s year, and you're for sure the guy. And yeah. Dave, Dave, and Alex come because you're officially going to Pepperdine. It's the smartest thing Dave could do is be like, "I'll go coach this guy for a whole year before he even gets to me." That was Marv's idea, not it, Dave's idea. Yeah, <laughs> of course it is. And Sato comes in. Kenji's back. And Matt Hilling are on your team, and McGorian's your setter, Taylor Tattersall, and who's the other middle? Dustin Neary. And Dustin Neary, right? So all these yeah. guys are going D1 at some point in their career. It's yeah. a pretty good team. Yeah, we were pretty solid. Yeah. Did you guys take uh, – did you guys medal that year? Yeah, we got silver. Oh, sorry to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, dude, who was got the team they the lost to? Bobo Bay with um, – Chodes and Taylor Hammond, Zach Lockevera, Brinkley, all those guys. It's a pretty good squad, too. It was – I think every single tournament that year was us and them in the finals. Like, our two teams were pretty far above everyone else. There was – every once in a while, another team would, you know, sneak out a lucky win. Uh, but pretty much every tournament, it was us or them. I think we ended up winning the SCVA because we won the um, boys classic at the end of the year and like classic curse. Yep. Um, So that like points wise put us right above them. So we were number one seed in JOs didn't lose a set until that finals match. Brutal. It was brutal. brutal. We also had, I think think we had eight guys on our team. So we all played. Oh, and time. Travis got a hernia, right? Travis, Travis got, got a hernia, hernia. during warm-ups for the gold medal match. Um, so that was fun. I, we were all warming up kind of like behind the grandstands. And all of a sudden, I'm like, where's Travis? And I was like, I don't know. So I go up to Aaron Wong, our, I think he was technically the head coach. It's like, hey, where's, where's Travis? He's like, oh, don't worry. Like, he'll be back. And I was like, Aaron's usually like Mr. Cool Smooth, so when he like has a little bit of hesitancy in his speed, you know something's up. So I was like, uh-oh. So we're like lining up, and like Travis comes hobbling back. I'm like, what happened? He's like, I just got a hernia. Luckily, his grandpa's a doctor, so like took him back, shoved it back in, and like taped him up real good for the match, and he played through it. It's tough, dude. Also, yeah, shout seriously. out to Travis McGorian. And his new baby. Yeah, yes. seriously. 
great to hear that everything went well. Safe, Brooks safe, everybody's okay. Okay, so you go opposite big dog. Cody Caldwell gives you the business like he does in every final. <laughs> everywhere, everywhere he's ever played, kid's just a winner. Yeah. So can't fault him there. Then talk about a prequel to our senior year with Zach Lacavera also giving you the business. Mm-hmm. Not the first <laughs> or the last time that's going to happen. I have like replays in my mind from both games that look <laughs> identical. Zach just <laughs> wrist away and then more wrist away. Just Zach reaching with his left hand. <sighs> Gives me uh, nightmares. God, dude, he's, he is a good player, man. Oh, yeah. This is a really good player. So then, so you're an opposite, and then all of a sudden you walk into Pep, you know Maurice is there, mm-hmm. who's obviously the guy. Yeah. Right, so what's what are you thinking? Are you thinking I can beat this guy out or I'm just, maybe I'm going to have to redshirt or what's going through your head? So originally talking to Marv, like after I committed, the plan was, and granted we all know how plans go. They always change. Um, the plan was Maurice was going to move to the left and I was going to be on the right freshman year, which, yeah, that would have been great, but I knew that would have to have a lot of things fall in line. Like Maurice being able to form a platform. <laughs> Maurice learning how to pass. But also that was part of the reason Dave and Alex came to coach me during clubs so I could learn how to pass, which obviously neither of us could figure out how to do. <laughs> um, so I, I knew, okay, if I sit behind Maurice for a year, learn, maybe play every once in a while, um, because especially at that time we all know Maurice was a little inconsistent. Yeah. So I was like, okay, whatever. Figured out the next year I'll either take his job or I'll move to the left or he'll move to the left. We'll have enough time by then to figure it out really to get us all on the court. And then lo and behold, you practice for three days in like the middle of February. It was like we came so, in we came in on Monday, you we start doing hitting lines or whatever, or we do like our group work. Yeah. And it's setters and middles. Opposites in another setter, and then like bros in the middle. Mm-hmm. And Tino's with us. He's not with the pins for the first time I've ever seen. And all of a sudden, he's hitting quicks. Yeah, I think, I don't even think it was Monday. I think it, uh, maybe it was because we played Irvine the next night. I remember that. No, we played, no, we played Ukla. We played Ukla on a Saturday. No, no, no. It was Irvine, San Diego because Irvine, I got in. Oh, first you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Middle, and it was the day after I. Basically, just did hitting lines with the middles during practice. The rest of the practice, I went back to the pin. The next day, we play Irvine. And I think it's like third, fourth set. We're losing. Yeah, we're down 2-0, and then Tino came in. Yeah, and Marv's like, hey, you're going in. And I was like, okay, I guess they're pulling Maurice. And he's like, no, 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 you're going in middle. I was like, I don't even know the rotations. I don't know anything about this. I know how to hit the ball kind of, and like – kind of could figure out a block. And that's when they were number one in the nation. They had like Tilly and Carson Clark and all those guys. Scotty yeah. Morgan. So needless to say, I didn't do great, but I did well enough that Marv was like, hey, I think we're going to stick with this. So the next day, that night we go down to San Diego because they were travel partners. The next morning we practice like our servant pass and i'm with the middles and that night i started at middle for the first time quick preface so we go down to san diego right and we get down there and all of a sudden there's a team meeting and everybody's like what happened why do we have a meeting we're just freshmen we have no idea what's going on two of our guys get caught having a beer the night before at a restaurant right they're just yeah Dumb enough to have walked into a restaurant literally a block away from our hotel to have a beer. And who walks in? The whole coaching staff and sees them with like a pitcher, right? So not only is Tino like thrown into this position, he has no choice in the matter because one of them's a middle. So he has to play. He was our M1. Yeah, he's... Solid middle. Yeah, so he... It's Tino, Nick, uh, I think... Scotty, oh, Scotty Ryan had to play. Cause that was Chase, the first time we had, we had six freshmen starting. Yeah, Scotty Ryan ended up playing because Chase wasn't doing great. Josh played, Maurice and I, and then Pluger. 
So we had six freshmen. No, five freshmen, five freshmen, a junior, and a sophomore on the court. And we had to play, like, senior-ridden San Diego. Who by They weren't a great team at that point in time, but they were all seniors. They were at home, and we were just young bucks coming off a brutal loss against Irvine because they gave us <laughs> the business the night before, dude. Oh, yeah. And Tino went off. I don't really remember that game, honestly. It was yeah. like the whole thing was a blur. Yeah. So I was just like trying to figure out what I was supposed to do the whole time. So like I didn't have time to like think about the game. I was worried about like, am I standing in the right spot in service Eve? So Marv, before that match, comes up to me and goes, tough match. Uh, Tino, we're going to have to help him out tonight. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I got it, coach. I know. I had that feeling. He's like, he'll be all right. He's got you. And I was like, I don't even know what the hell I'm doing, man. This is like match eight for me. And he did well, man. Tino killed it. So then the next weekend, we turn around. The next weekend, we, back we, home, we play UCLA. And UCLA has not lost a set. They have not lost – obviously, they have not lost a match. It's all seniors. It's Weston Dunlap, Tom Amberg, Kyle Caldwell, Gonzalo's the youngest. Jamie, yeah, Jeremy Casebeer, Evan Mottram. Like the team, yeah, yeah. So we go all-American middles, yeah. Like the bet, the two considered the two best middles in the country. Tino's third match starting at middle. Yeah, that. (laughs) Put him in, kid. That was fun. So that was like my first real taste, I think, of like high-level D1 volleyball. Because Irvine, I did, I played, I don't know, twenty points, if that. San Diego was like, okay, I just got to figure this out. UCLA was like, we're at home. We like, I had time to practice a little bit. I had time to like go through the scavenging report and like figure out what's going on. And then it was like, all right, good luck. That's awesome that it happened that quickly for you. It was super quick. And it was. Do you remember what the, do you remember what the toughest transition at that period was? Was it like blocking to the left, blocking to the right, blocking period, attacking to the left? Yeah. It was like attacking. I just did what I always did. I hit wrist away. And, like, we didn't run it super quick. It was almost like a one and a half. Blocking to the right I was used to because I played on the right forever. But blocking to the left, like, everything was backwards. Because, like, on the right, I would reach back into the court to the left. But on the left, I, like, couldn't figure out how to reach back (laughs) into the court. So it was just I was reaching the wrong way. I was guessing a lot. It was definitely blocking was the hardest for me. Do you remember if teams would use that against you and set the right side often? Uh, usually not because I had Josh on that side and people didn't like to set it, Josh. That's nice. But when I had Scott and Ryan next to me, then they would attack him. FBSO every time. Yeah. Pretty <laughs> so much. I guess, just take a wild guess since this is Tino's third match ever at middle blocker since he was like 13. Take a wild <laughs> guess at what Tino's stat line was that night. How many sets was the match? Five sets. Five sets, okay. He was 11 kills, two errors, 19 attempts. 10 of 16, no errors. (laughs) Wow. 10 of 16, no errors. He got Tom Amberg so pissed, I'll never forget (laughs) it. He hung on the net and just, I thought he was going to carch it and just rip the net down. (laughs) Do you remember that, Tino? I do. I remember the whole rally preceding that too. It was we were in I don't know what whatever rotation. We were in we were in row four. Row four. I was on the left. Yeah, we like Serves. we entered in. Yeah. Enter in and good pass, middle middle, and he full commits on me, gets up huge, and Matt sets me, and I didn't know what to do, so I just hit it like as sharp as possible. And Matra was there, dug it, came back over, same thing. Full commit. Matt sets me. Hit it a little bit sharper this time. And they, like, scramble, get it back over. Third ball, Matt sets me again. And I just completely, like, unloaded as hard as I could, as sharp as I could. And, like, hit the tee. And he just grabs it. (laughs) (laughs) Wrist away, dude. Three times in a row. Just, um, like, it was awesome. There was zero idea in my mind to hit Just never even thought about it. Matt Pollock. The world must have opened up. Matt Pollock went 14 of 22 that match. No errors. Our middles went off. Did you just pull that up? Yeah. Yeah, I just pulled it up. (laughs) I would not have guessed that I went 10 to 16 that game. 
And so from there on out, were you always considered a middle until your senior year? No. So even that year in row one and three, I would hit on the pins. So row one, I would hit on the left. Parker would hit quicks and serve receive. Row three, I would hit on the right most of the time, depending on what was going on. Parker would hit in the middle. So I was kind of like a utility guy. The big thing was back row attacking. Parker was pretty strong at. So that was like the biggest thing that held me from really taking over there because he he was a better blocker in the middle for sure he was just a better blocker all around um and his quicks were real quicks they weren't loopy he was really good at middle um yeah, he was so that year the next year pretty much every off season over was fall season i would play opposite and then right when season started i would go back to middle what was your attitude towards that? Was it just, hey, this is what the team needs, or was there some frustration? Both. So at first it was freshman year, especially. It was, hey, I want to play. This is going to be the only way out. Maurice is an All-American. Like, I didn't expect to take his job. Uh, we needed help in the middle, so I was happy to do it. The following year, had shoulder surgery, so I missed that. The year after that, so that year that I had shoulder surgery, Parker played middle. Following year, I came back, and that's when we were kind of switching off. So I came back, had surgery January. So right when we started season, I was like a year removed from surgery. Still wasn't 100%. And that's when the first frustration really started because it, hitting middle hurt my shoulder more than hitting on the pin. Yeah. So I was like, I mean, I, I wasn't like openly complaining to the coaches about it. But I'm sure I told Matt a thousand times, I don't know why I'm still playing middle. I also had no power at that point. So, like, it was either play middle or don't play because I wasn't strong enough to play opposite at that point until probably halfway through the season. Then I started to get my shoulder back. And it was like, all right, if I'm hitting on the pin two out of three of the rotations, let me just play all the way around and play on the opposite. How was uh, going back in time? So, you. Tore your labrum in Argentina at World Championships the summer before we even went into freshman year. Yeah. Obviously, you took no time off. You just rehabbed with our trainer, Nicole. Yeah, I think I took the first two weeks of school off from hitting and just rehabbed. And then after that, it was full go. Yeah, and then we were just full go. And then you decided, I can't do this anymore. I have to get shoulder surgery. Mm -hmm. And... Like, just walk us through that process emotionally, more emotionally, mentally than physically. Because we know, like, by month five, you're starting to, like, throw. By month eight, you can throw, but it's a little bit higher. And it takes about 12, 14 months until you really get to feel normal again. 14 months, you feel pretty much normal, yeah? Yeah, about 14. By 12, I was comfortable doing everything. By 14 I was like didn't think about it anymore yeah um so just walk us through that whole yeah. process that you had to go of so, college being so you're 20 miles from home so you could always go mm-hmm. home yeah being at college being with all your friends but you can't do the one thing that you love doing with them the most you know yeah so even before that so that fall of our sophomore year the whole fall practice, I was playing opposite and I was typically on like the B side and I kind of became like the guy on the B side. So I got a ton of sets over there. Um, so like on any given practice, I'm taking 60 to 80 swings and that's like when it really started to wear down, like wasn't keeping up enough with rehab with like the amount of swings I was taking. So that's when my shoulder really started to degrade. Um, that's the year JD was our coach, right? Yeah, my and sophomore year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he had been through the same surgery. And it was probably finals of fall semester. So right before we went on Christmas break, before yeah. we came back to start season, I was in the office studying and like we got to talking and like he handed me something. And like there's a classic labor test like if you grab something out here and like your shoulder kind of 
just loses it. Like you're at the point of no return. And if that happened and he just kind of looked at me and was like, we need to get this taken care of. So like, that was kind of the point where it was like, all right, like I can't just keep powering through this. Like long-term, I need to take care of this. Are you thankful that he did that or did at that time, did you want to power through it? No, because at that point I was pretty mentally drained of powering through it. Like it hurt. I, you know, I'd get to practice an hour, hour and a half early, warming it up, stretching, you know, heat pads, all that fun stuff, getting some treatment, and then usually another hour, hour and a half after practice. So it was just like, it was becoming a lot. It was always in pain. Like once I got warmed up and hitting, it was fine. But like then afterwards, it was just miserable all the time. Um, So definitely glad that like timing wise, yeah, it sucked. Because I was like, well, there goes this whole season. I don't know if I could have made it through this. I think if I didn't do it then, I would have played out the season and then done it. And that would have screwed me for that year and the following year. Then, okay, so then we work our way through, right? And then mm-hmm. we're, it's your red shirt, sophomore year, our junior year. You yeah. and Parker are splitting. It's going super well. Literally could not be going better. Yeah. The team's rolling. Like, the only problem we have is we have two liberos that are, like, too good. That was our biggest problem that year was, like, we have yeah. two guys that are both really good at their positions. Yeah. So, like, if that's our biggest worry, then it happens. You know what I mean? So, then we go through that year, and it's just a roller coaster. And we start figuring out, like, points matter. Yeah. You know, like – I remember talking to Dave about it at the end of the year, and he's like, if we could change six points, we are in the tournament. Yeah, pretty much. You know, like we lost to Long Beach on the road in a fifth set. We dropped a fifth setter to Santa Barbara, and this, those two losses would make us – I mean, it would have solidified first place, obviously, for us. Mm-hmm. And the MPSF. Yeah, yeah, because we, we ended up – tied with BYU yeah. record-wise, which, like, that came down to, like, the last three games. They were up three games, and somehow we ended up tied, but they had the tiebreaker on us. Yeah, they had – yeah, for sure. So they have the tiebreaker on us because we just couldn't win at Smithfield House to save our lives. And then we go into the off season, All this stuff happens, right? Like, right before we even get into the preseason. And Marv's pretty smart. He, like, really knows how to get the best out of people. Yeah. And he and I have a really tough conversation. And he says, Wes, I don't think you can be captain anymore. We're making Matt Tarantino captain. So from then on, and if for people that don't know, best friend of all time. <laughs> right? Best friend yeah. of all time and roommate. So he gives it to you and – I talked to Jackson about this. I'm like, what am I supposed to say? He's my best friend of all time. I'm obviously super happy for him, but at the same time, I'm like, this motherfucker yeah. is now the <laughs> captain of the team, right? So it's like this weird thing. And I remember walking outside with you at one point, and you're like, hey, I just want to let you know you're still a big part and a leader of this team. And at that point, I was like, okay, he's going to be fine at this job. <laughs> got it down to science. But what – what changed mentally for you, if anything, from just being like the M1 to now you're the M1 and the captain of it's our senior year, yeah. kind of everything's on the line. This is it for us. This is our year. How'd you deal with it? So that that whole situation was interesting because I remember the day Marv called me in to tell me that I was going to be the captain. Like just a complete shock. He I don't know, called me and was like, hey, come by the office, like, want to chat, which we went by the office four times every day. So, like, it wasn't out of the ordinary. And then I get in there and he shuts the door and I was like, oh, that's a little weird, like, something serious. Because he usually, like, you know, we'd sit there, we'd screw around a little bit, watch some film, whatever, but door's open. So he shut the door and I was like, oh. And he tells me, hey, you're going to be the captain, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, like, I'm happy to do it. And then I remember, like, a few days later, he's like, have you told Matt? And I was like, no, have you told Matt? And he was like, no. <laughs> so he didn't know at that point. I knew for a couple of days. So he's like, okay, let, like, I'll take care of it. And then he ended up talking. So, like, that few days was kind of weird. 
Um, but I think overall, like the main thing was like, I can't worry about myself anymore. Like I have to worry about the six other guys. Yeah. And not like, that's just gameplay. I have to worry about those guys, but like practice, I have to worry about the 18 other guys. So it, it started to become this take care of my stuff on my own time. But like when we're in the gym, I can't think about just me. I have to think about the whole team, like where we are and where we want to be and what's going to help us get there. And at the same time, like be open to having the tough conversations, whether it's someone barking at me or me barking at someone. For sure. Do you, looking back, do you think we barked at each other enough? Probably not. I think there always could have been more given especially like our relationship, not even just you and I, but like the whole team, how close we were. Yeah. I think we were nicer to each other than we probably needed to be because we could literally say anything to each other. And we would have known at the end of the day, like, yeah, we would have gone at it for 10 seconds, but like 30 seconds later, we would have known like, yeah, he's right. Like I need to be doing that. Well, I remember we played at SC my, our junior year, my junior year, Richard sophomore year. And Josh, pulled me aside after mm-hmm. the second set because we were like 1-1 and he goes you're fucking blowing it mm-hmm. your decisions are shit we are going to lose because of you pull your head out of your ass and i was like well, he's right yeah <laughs> you know like something about sc because the same thing pretty much happened your senior year we're undefeated at that point you play at the Galen Center and we yeah. lose the first set and like I don't know we maybe had lost like one or two sets already this season so end of the first set I'm pissed I like just storm off and like walk around the the pole because we're going to the bench between sets and Josh grabs me because like the rest of the team was huddled in the middle of the court before walking around and Josh snapped at me he's like you're being a real shitty captain right now and I was like you're right. Like I was being selfish. I was thinking about me being frustrated, not thinking about what we need to do. And after the game, I went up to him. I was like, Hey, I want to thank you for like barking at me. And he's like, like, you know, Josh always super, you know, nice and apologetic. He's like, no, no, no. Like I shouldn't have done that. I was like, no, 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 you definitely should have done that. Like that's going to make something positive happen out of it. He was the best because he never like looking back, in like being immature you're you might think it was him being selfish but then you give it like 30 minutes like i remember we were at byu and i didn't i did him a lot the night before and he had shin splints our junior year yeah and so he calls me he's like hey man i i want to talk to you and i was like okay let's hear it you know and he's like i'm tired of you not fucking giving me the ball he's like if he's like if if you if I knew you weren't gonna set me that much last night, I wouldn't have played. Like that was just a waste of my time. I have shin splints. If you're gonna if I'm gonna play, then I want the ball. I'm not Maurice isn't here anymore. I'm not somebody's bitch. I'm the guy. And I was like, You are the guy. You are my guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like and that doesn't mean that like I haven't done the same to him. Like in practice, Marv always used to say, Anytime guys fought, it was a good practice. And that usually meant if Matt and Josh were fighting, that was a good practice because we were never on the same team. So, you know, anytime guys were barking and chipping, then it was a good thing because it means you were getting the most out of each other. So I don't think any, like you said, nobody would ever do it maliciously. I was just curious if you thought we should, we should have done it or if teams should do it more than they actually think they should. I think there's a fine line because now being older, and having coached some teams, there's some teams that can't do it at all because everyone is either sensitive or they take it the wrong way or they mean it the wrong way. And that was one of the hardest things to teach as a coach. So like the the girls team I coached with Cami, yeah. that was the one team that I constantly said, you guys need to get on each other more. Yeah. Cause like you're a good team, you're all good friends. You can't let someone slack off because they're your friend. Like, that's when you attack them the most. I mean, it's just it, you have to demand respect and accountability from one another, right? So sometimes you kind of have to be a dick to get what you need. 
Yeah, but at the same time, you have to take care of your business if you sure. call someone out. So, like, there's that fine line of keeping yourself accountable if you want to keep your teammates accountable. And Jackson, you got the next question. Do you think that because of the way that our upperclassmen were to us, mm-hmm. that ultimately made us come closer, but in too much of a family and friendship way, instead of a like, and maybe we might have taken their critique too heavy too, because yeah. we were, we thought we were big dogs walking on campus and whatever, and maybe they were just trying to get the best out of us too. We just didn't know how to deal with it. Yeah. I, th- I don't think that we became too close. I don't think there's any point that you're too close. Yeah. I think it made us afraid of calling people out and getting on people because, yeah, now, now that you say it, at the time it seemed like they were doing it maliciously. Yeah. And not, they were doing it because we were the freshmen starting over them and they were seniors that, you know, maybe played every once in a while. Um, and then they have what seven freshmen come in five of them end up starting yeah yeah that was a weird dynamic but ultimately i think yeah we could have taken it better as freshmen but i don't think that it hurt us in the long run too much jackie boom what do you got all right so matt graduates josh graduates i believe parker graduated as well that year and you're going into your fifth year senior year Mm-hmm. You have a you have a year under your belt as captain, but a huge core of the team is gone now. As far as the volleyball core, yeah. How how does that leadership translate into the next year? Because I mean, a lot of younger guys uh, playing a new setter setting you. Mm-hmm. Um, were you able to be the same leader, or did you have to change what's as close? So I'll take a step back even from there. So I wasn't planning on staying a fifth year until halfway through season of my redshirt junior year basically so I was to graduate that year um and we ended up talking with Marv they were kind of going through budgeting and scholarship stuff and he's like basically like are you staying or are you not because we needed to know so we could start offering people scholarships whatever went through that whole process decided in my best interest to stay another year Um, so I had to drop like half of my classes that semester so I could take the minimum just to stay eligible, but have enough to stay a fifth year. So going into that summer, that transition was tough because not only was it like the core of the team, these were the guys that I'd been there with from the beginning, like the guys that I hung out with every day. Not that I didn't hang out with the younger guys, but like these were my people. Yeah. So I remember... The night of graduation, all of these guys kind of, you know, do their thing with their family and all the underclassmen are together. And I was like, this is what it's going to be. Like, I'm taking these guys, like we're doing our thing tonight because this is what the team's going to be. So it definitely changed because it was more of a, I've been here longer than you. I know more than you. We're still friends, but like, you need to listen to me. And a lot of the guys were young. We had... That year we had everyone except for me and one other guy, their first time starting. Like first time really playing extended periods of time. So that was like, look, I've been where you are. I know it sucks. I know it's tough. So like, just lean on me. Just whatever you need, talk to me, come to me, whatever it is. So like, not only game wise did I have to manage a lot, but like, culture-wise and practice-wise, I had to. Because when you have, you know, a team full of seniors, you don't need one person kind of running practice or running open gyms. Like, everyone knows what they're doing. It The younger guys just follow along. But when it's all new guys and it's one old guy, you really have to, like, set the stage. So, like, I did some things, like, preseason that I wouldn't have done the year before. Like, one time I stormed out of an open gym because it was – not good the guys weren't taking it serious like kind of messing around so I like kind of threw a fit and walked out that was just kind of to make a point it wasn't that I actually wanted to leave it was like we're not going to do this anymore because it's a waste of everyone's time so like things like that changed but overall like Marv always says like individuals never lose the desire to be treated as individuals like you have to know your teammates you have to know how they respond to things 
and that's really what makes someone able to lead. Well said, Good sir. stuff, Tino. Well <laughs> Good stuff, Tino. And what's your best Marv story? Oh, God. There's too many. Best I, in the gym, best in the gym, best out of the gym. <laughs> I think the – I don't know if it's the best, but it's one that I will absolutely never forget. It's freshman year. We're up in Fresno. <laughs> yeah. We're playing Stanford or someone. Yeah, yeah. It's preseason. Everyone's, I played, I think, three different positions within that single match. Um, so it was just like, you know, we're getting as many reps as possible. It, wasn't, it was competitive, but it wasn't like we're keeping score trying to win here. And there was a timeout or a break or something, and he comes into the huddle. And he just goes – Golden Retrievers make great dogs, not great blockers, and then walks away. And at the time, I was like, what the hell just happened? I have no idea what he means. Now, like, after being with Marv for 10 years now, like, knowing him, I know exactly what it means. But at the time, I was a freshman, I was like, what is this guy do? Like, this is an Olympic gold-winning coach? Like, what? how? That makes no sense. Dude, we walked up to the sideline, Jackson. And Josh goes, we're fucking playing for this guy. (laughs) (laughs) And we were like, at least we're all in it together, brother. And he's like, I sure hope so, dude. This is going to be a long (laughs) four years. Uh, And what about off the court? Off the court, there's a few. I think the main one is every year we would go to Jim and Judy Zurich, who huge part of Pepperdine Volleyball, obviously. We'd go to their house during preseason to kind of have like a little barbecue hangout. And their neighbor has like a, a bocce ball court. And like, that's the first time you really get to see Marv be competitive and realize like he will literally do anything it takes to win. Doesn't matter if he's cheating, doesn't matter what he's doing he's going to win and like, he's going to make sure, you know, he's winning too. And it, it's, I forget who was playing. I wasn't even playing at the time. It's two on two. And it's like last shot. He has to like make the shot to keep the game alive or else they lose. And he like misses it by, you know, a tiny bit. And as he's walking away, instead of cussing, he just goes, dogs, puppies. And like, keeps walking. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is what we're doing here. Oh, dude, he – they have that gold medal <laughs> squared clinic in Seattle every year. So, I think my sophomore year, I got to come home for, like, an extended period of time or whatever in May. And my parents are down there doing it, obviously, because it's in Seattle and they want to see Marv. And the one thing my mom says is, like, don't put me in any drills. And my dad's like, put me in every drill. <laughs> so – of course, he puts my mom in the drill defending and my dad in position four attacking. Ooh. So my dad is just uncorking on balls <laughs> at my mom. And my, Marv's just like, Matt, see this, guys? Matt, your, your dad's got some power. I think your mom's going to need to step it up here. And I'm like, you tell her, man, because I'm, <laughs> I'm not telling an Olympian how to live their life, you know? And all of a sudden, right, because my dad's so into it, he like kind of doesn't realize what's going on. And Marv starts being Marv. And he goes, hey, Mark, watch that ball. And my dad goes to pick up a ball. No ball. And he initiates the ball right to my dad. Ball drops right in front of him. And my dad's like, hey, you said there was a ball on. And my Marv or Marv goes, no refs here. Point Raquel. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> and then three points later, he goes, hey, Mark, I need you to wipe down the floor. My dad goes to pick up a towel, throws a ball right at him. Ball drops. Another point for Raquel. Mark, you got to get in the game here. <laughs> <laughs> starts chirping my old man and Marv's just looking back at me like this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me man there's yeah whenever pairs get involved Marv thrives like that's what he lives for like wow. he he cares about his players and he like he loves being with us but like when the parents are around that's when he really like enjoys his time what's the worst coach on one you've seen him give to Maurice <laughs> it was that was probably freshman year and I think Maurice got the coach on one like every day for something and he's given it to him and he's like kind of just 
dragging, not really going hard after it. And like, it's the number one rule of Marv, like go hard, it's gonna be quick. Like if you take a long time to get up, if you're not diving, like you better watch out. So Maurice is kind of dragging and like, you know how Marv does that little like head turn, like what just happened? I saw that and I was like, uh oh. So like he starts hammering balls and like Marv's arm swing is just like right here, but he still hammers the ball. So he's just hammering it and like Maurice comes in, hits it, then always in Marv fashion, hits him in the face. And like, I was like, oh, like he did that on purpose. That wasn't an accident. And then he starts chucking balls like side to side in the gym. And then he starts chucking them up in the bleachers. So Maurice <laughs> has to run around up the stairs, up more stairs into the bleacher to the ball. And he's standing there like waiting for the next ball. And Marv's like, no, no, dive. So he's making him dive through the bleachers like way up top. And I was like, okay, now I know what not to do. Oh, man. What's the worst coach? What coach like through high school, college, pro? What coach gave you the worst coach on one? Probably Charles. I think with Charles, it was the same thing. I got one every day, no matter what. Like, it wasn't <laughs> a practice until I got a coach on one. Like, I could have done everything perfect. I was still getting coach on one. And he he just liked to hammer the ball. Like, he's just going to hit it hard until you dug a few. And, like, at that age especially, like, I didn't know what I was doing. I, like, just – I played football. I was like, okay, just get in front of it. Just, like, wear it a little bit. So I, I took a ton off the chest, ton off the face from him. And there's one time that I like was actually dead. I my back was kind of messed up because that's when I was still growing a ton. So my back was always super tight. I was hitting a lot, and during the coach on one, I I kind of like spasmed a little bit. So I was like kind of hobbling along, and he did not like that. So he just went even harder. Gotta love, gotta love Chuck. Good old Chuck. Dude, I remember Marv. Worked Colby, Harriman, our, his freshman year. He worked him every day for a week. <laughs> <laughs> because Max States, all decade Max States. All decade. Didn't go for a ball. And, like, Max goes for every ball, right? So then Marv kind of cut him some slack. And he's like, I'll get the freshman. Oh, I remember. And so he – Max was like, oh, crap. Like, this is it. It's over for me. Like, I'm dead. And he goes, Colby. Boom, and just starts chucking balls everywhere, right? <laughs> and Colby's like, what is happening? Because it's like his second – it's the first week of official practice, right? So Colby's like, what are we doing here? And we're all just like, just dive! And he's like, he just starts dropping to the floor. <laughs> Doesn't even run for the ball. He just starts dropping. And Marv's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. And then he eventually gets it, and he starts running and diving for balls, right? And we're just like, you just got to get five. So he touches five. Practice goes on. Kid almost passes out. Standard. The next day, same thing happens. He does it the whole week, right? So then we're like, okay, it's over. Two weeks later, Marv starts doing it again. He just goes, Colby, get this ball. Boom, throws the ball. He did it every day again for the next two weeks. But he'd only do one ball. Colby, you got to go get this ball. Boom, back to practice. We're like, this guy is something different, man. I think one of the best ones was Soup's. What, it, he was a freshman, and I, I don't know. He didn't dive for a ball or something. So, Marv was like, all right, Soups, get this ball. He starts throwing around a little bit, hitting a few. And Soups, like, started to get kind of frustrated. And he's like, come on, coach, and, like, steps up into him. And Marv, like, does one of these, and he just starts hammering him, just blasting him everywhere he could. <laughs> oh, yeah, he yeah, said, not, he said, not a on, good idea to show up that guy. No, you do not call Marv out. He said, he said, come on, Soups, right? And then Soups, oh, Kyle Garrett tips a ball. Like, this happens, like, a couple of days later. <laughs> Kyle, Kyle Garrett tips a ball, right? And Soups, like, timber. He has no idea how to dive. It's just, boom, hit the floor as hard as you can. Pancakes a ball right next to his earlobe and goes, you're easy, you're easy. <laughs> and, then, and then Kyle tips another one to Soups. It falls, and Marv goes walking by Soups, and like Tino said, Soups always said, come on. He's like, come on, Marv. And so Marv goes walking by the net, and he goes, come on, son. <laughs> and goes to the other side. <laughs> oh. 
Soups, come on, son. They just walk by and he starts he starts laughing, like chuckling underneath his breath because he knew yeah. it was hilarious. And Dave Hunt is on the back line, turned around, like keeled over, dying God. laughing. <laughs> I think we had to stop practice for like <laughs> yeah. five minutes because everyone goes, was yeah, just dying. Mark was like water break, water break, everyone. That was like one of the few times like oh, Mark openly like made a joke at someone. That was so funny, dude. Like usually like he's funny without like meaning to be funny. Like just the things he says are funny. But that this was like calculated, like I'm gonna get this guy. Oh man. <laughs> All right, Tino. First guy to give you the business in the MPSF. Probably Carson Clark. That first game. Carson Gavitt. The first does. game I played, I uh yeah, I didn't know what I was doing and he was all-American already at that stage and he was just crushing balls like hitting hands all day like I was like I'm blocking him but it's just going 30 feet out of bounds I don't know what to do dude I thought I thought for sure you're gonna say Tom Amberg when he just roasted you at UCLA I was going to and that that popped into my mind but like (laughs) it's when he kicked the ball and it hit me in the face yeah that's right and then you you tried to fight all of UCLA and we were like, don't, 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 don't. I, I tried to go under the net. <laughs> yeah. And Josh and I, like, pulled him back. We were like, this is a terrible idea. We're going to lose, dude. Yeah. Tino, did you ever get a yellow card or a red card? I have one yellow card in my career, and it's as a coach. Ah. Yeah. I don't know how I didn't get one a few times, especially at BYU. BYU, my fifth year. Matt, I know you know the story, but it's – Fourth set, we're up 2-1, and they're number one or two in the nation at this point. We're, I don't know, eight or ten. Like, we weren't super good. Night one, they beat us pretty handily. Night two, we're, like, battling it. Like, it's hardcore battle. And there's kind of a scramble play, set a high ball to the outside, Jimmy, and he hammers this ball, and he hits kind of, like, low seam, and it hits the block and shoots out of bounds clears day and the ref goes no touch BYU point so I run up to the ref and the first thing I said you've got to be shitting me and like (laughs) BYU they have the TV cameras they have the announcers right there like you don't cuss around them like it's pretty it's pretty hard so like I go at this guy and like they have what four or five thousand fans in the stand so it's super loud like I can't hear him I'm like jumping up on the stand to hear what he's saying and like he wouldn't respond to me so like I let him have it for a little bit and then I turned around and I was like oh Mars gonna be pissed like I shouldn't be going at the ref like this so I turned around and Marv's going at the down ref so I was like fine I'm going back for round two go back at this guy and like <laughs> just going off on him and even on the like BYU telecast, the announcer goes, I, I think he just said that's the worst call he's ever seen in his life. So go back and forth for a while. And after that game, the ref came up to me and I was like, oh, he's going to like get on me for going after him. We ended up winning, by the way, which was like the first time we won in Smithfield House in, I don't know, 10 years or something. But the ref comes up to me. And he goes, hey, I just want to know, like, you're one of the classiest players I've ever ref, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, did you not hear anything I just said to you? <laughs> Dude, playing in Smith, because we had the unfortunate luck of playing in the Taylor Sander generation. But yeah. I remember, is he the best player you ever played against? No, Wilfredo, for sure. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. Is he second best? Um, Sander, probably. He, I remember. When did you play against Wilfredo? Youth Norsecas. I think we were, what, 16, 15, 16 years old? Yeah, 14, 15, dude. He was 14, yeah. 15, too. Dude, he and just, he had just won best attacker, MVP, and best server of World League. <laughs> yeah. And we were like, this, this was our first time youth team. We, the tournament was in April for some weird reason. They had Youth Olympics that summer. We didn't have any practice time. We had tryouts and we showed up in Mexico to play. So we got there like a day early and had one practice. And we show up and we're like, who is this guy? Like everyone's talking about this Wilfredo guy. We start looking him up and we're like, oh, he knows what he's doing. (laughs) And I think... 
I think he got blocked once the entire tournament by this little Canadian guy, just like a fluke of a block. I think he maybe made one unforced error, like won every award at the tournament. Dude, he was like, you see guy, like Sander was good. Sander was really good when we played like youth and junior team, but Wilfredo was untouchable. He was bouncing D balls into the second story of like the facility we were at in Guadalajara. It was like the court was lowered and then there was probably like 15, 20 feet up until the seat started. And that was probably 30, 40 feet behind the end line. And he was bouncing D balls up there. That's how hard he's hitting balls. And we were like, what is this guy doing, dude? Like we, and we were like, all right, maybe we have a chance. Like if we can slow him down, just slow him down. We have a chance. And the Cuban setter was pretty smart. He would set everybody, like, the whole rest of the game. And then 2020, every ball goes to Leon. Yeah. And he just wrecked us. Yeah. We, uh, so I got matched up with Alfredo. Like, if he was hitting on the right, I was walking on the left. I was hitting on the left. He was walking on the right. Like, we kind of ended up getting matched up. And, like, of course, he's just destroying me. And there's one ball. He's hitting on the left. I'm blocking on the right. And I get up, and I'm, like, I have my head up. I'm over the net. I'm like, I got you this time. And he hits a ball, and it hits me, like, right in the sweet spot. Like, a little bit of wrist, but, like, right at the bottom of your hand where it's, like, the hardest. And I was like, oh, I got you now. And it snapped my wrist back, and the ball goes flying into the stands. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I don't know what to do anymore. I don't know if you can do anything at that point. Yeah, he easily the best player I've ever played against. See the best player in the world right now? I just, he does everything so well. Like, there's nothing he can't do. True. I mean, he's not an all-world receiver or defender, but... It doesn't need to be, because even if he has a bad pass, he just said me, puts it away, he's fine. Yeah, man. I mean, he's hitting balls at, like, two meters sharp cross on a three-man block. From freaking five, ten feet off the net. Yeah, and he's doing it consistently. All he does is a step close, too. He really doesn't have a big approach. Yeah. He's just so explosive with his legs, and it gives him so much power with his arm. And his, his hand control is ridiculous. Dude, I've noticed that, too. Like, Zhu Ting, the best player in the world on the women's side, the Chinese girl, does the yeah. same thing. And you know who marvelously did it as well and is by far the greatest player to ever walk the face of the earth? is Karch. Yep. It was just step. He just step closed everything, and he just let his legs and just let his legs do all the work for him. Yeah, yeah. You use all the energy from your legs, and yeah. you transfer it to the ball. But Dude, yeah, yeah, the the way he's able to do it is impressive. Because like, there's guys that are as physical as him for sure. But they can't transfer the energy like he does. Yeah, he's undoubtedly the best in the world at that. Uh, I want to hear, West. you told me about a story overseas for Tino. I forget what it was, though. That's right, dude. We were just, Tino and I were talking the other day, the difference when you go abroad and play pro, Mm -hmm. there's a big radical change for us, especially playing for Marv, where it's like celebrating is useless. You just move on. First of like entertainment versus execution. Yeah, Yeah, so like, Teen's got a pretty good story about how he was going off and he still got yanked. Yeah, so it was our first game back after, like, Christmas break. So second half of the season starting. Um, We're playing at home in our gym, super small. I think it's, like, 1,200, 1,500 people, like, always packed, standing room only, like, very energetic crowd. And we're playing, like, a team that's about our level, like, halfway in the league sixth seventh place right so we're in there and through like the first set and a half i probably have like nine kills on 12 swings no errors like a block and an ace and like the rest of our team's kind of struggling we won the first set by a few points like i had a few late kills second set like i was kind of just carrying the team and like, you guys know I'm not a super emotional, energetic person. Like, I'm going to do my job, and I'm going to just keep doing it, and I don't care what's going on outside of that. Um, and my coach pulls me, and I was like, "What? what's going on? Like, I'm not one to question a coach, 
but I, I said, what are you doing to him? And he's like, you're not being, you're not playing to the crowd enough. Like he, he wasn't, his English was okay. So he's like, you're not playing to the crowd enough. I was like, what do you mean? Like, I'm not, I'm not a cheerleader. You're not paying me to be a cheerleader. You're paying me to put balls away and score points. And that's what I'm doing. So like, what's going on here? And I sat for the rest of the game because the guy that they put in for me is, he was a cheerleader. He's a good player, but he was a cheerleader. Big difference. Nine for 12, and he takes you out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, radical difference between – I mean, and you can see it on our national team too. Like, the young guys, like when they first came on, like Jayeshki, Ron, Micah, Sander, they were into it. They were emotional, but they weren't, you know, like overly emotional. Yeah. And now that they have a couple of years in Italy, yeah. like you can see they'll run to the stand now. Mm-hmm. They complain a little bit more. And they've, like, taken on that persona, you know? And, like, you see a guy like Matt Anderson, and because he played in Russia for so long, like, that's kind of – that's not really their thing there. So he's just like, hey, (laughs) all right, next ball. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, you can totally tell how culture is embodied in, like, each personality, obviously, and, like, each person. Because, obviously, the more you're playing in Italy – they're going to wear on you at some point in time. Like, they're going to make their impact. Yeah, I mean, even, like, through one season with the team, like, you, you start learning, okay, like, this is what we do. Yeah. It takes a while, and it's, it's like you have to make a conscious effort to do it. But, it, yeah, that it's, uh, it's definitely a different world. Well, dude, you just go and play in the gym, right? And, like, every country each person has played in, nobody swears anymore. You swear in the country's language that you just played in. Mm-hmm. So, like, even that takes its effect on you. So, like, yeah. the stuff that you used to say in college is completely out the door. Like, all of a sudden, you're here in Slovenian or French or Italian, and you're like, what is going on here, man? Like, yeah. what just happened? Yeah. Dude, even still, like, the, there's two things that really stuck with me is three. I do three like that. Like, I yeah. don't do it any other way now. And then ciao. <laughs> Like I don't, yeah. I don't use buy. I use chow. No, dude, that stuff sticks with you. Yeah, sure. it's kind of weird. Cause you can, obviously, I'm not driving a lot right now because of quarantine. But anytime I have to go out, immediately when I turn on the car, I drop my left foot. Yeah. And I'm like, there's, there's nothing there. Like my mm, Prius, no my Prius, yeah, my Prius doesn't have that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I came back from Germany, I got a car with with a stick shift. Yeah, because I was like, this is just it's. I like it. It's it's good if you're not in LA. It sucks if you're in traffic, yeah, but if you're like driving, it's better. You're just milking first for like two hours. Yeah, it screwed up my hip using the clutch so much. So Tino, you went a long time in your life playing volleyball and being a part of teams. What are you doing with your life now, and what lessons help you now that you learn? through volleyball that's a good question so now i work for lafc the la soccer team and mls doing uh ticket sales so it it's like you wouldn't think right off the bat like there's a ton of correlation between volleyball and sales or soccer whatever it might be but like at the end of the day you learn how to talk to different people like through being on a team um and like i that's what i do i talk to random people every day and like i have to learn how to connect with them super quickly which like that takes a little bit of time but like through volleyball and like as everyone knows volleyball is such a small community like you know the one or two things to bring up that's like going to spark a conversation because everyone has had a similar experience yeah, I'm not bringing up volleyball things when I'm talking to a soccer fan, but like, it's easy to learn that one, those one or two things that you could talk to a soccer fan about and be like, boom, there, and like it gets them interested, it gets them talking, like, so it's just like knowing people really, and like that's also a big yeah. thing with Marv is like someone walks in the gym, you shake their hand, you introduce yourself, learning how to connect without making it about you, making it about them, like make the connection like a real thing, not. Just let me grill you with questions for a little bit. That's an awesome takeaway. Thanks. Absolutely. Like what's cool about Marv too, he's like so smart in how simple he puts things. 
and like you just don't realize it when you're younger as you get older it makes a lot of sense but he always said Mm -hmm. coaching coaching is the best job in the world because you surround yourself with the people that you actually want to be around yeah you know and like you don't get a lot of jobs with that ability unless you're creating your own job or you know your own platform or whatever I think that's kind of that's I'm guessing that's your end goal yeah is to be able to put yourself in a position like that yeah and like coaching is the easiest way to do that but like you can do it in other platforms basically like any manager level position like if you're in charge of hiring you get to hire who you want and like yeah there might be some limitations like you have to hire for company culture more so than your personal culture but like you still get your say in things and you still get to develop your own culture within that small unit that you have whatever you oversee you you have your your footprint on but like yeah if you're a coach you have complete control you could really make it whatever you want for sure yeah dude well dude i I think we're good here (laughs) i think we're good here i think think we're good here here. yeah man thanks for coming on again i appreciate it absolutely thanks for having me it's fun time and uh hopefully we could do it again in person one day for sure thanks you know thanks jackie